Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Welcome back, listeners. I'm here for interview number three with Dr. Logan Sparks. And Logan, um, you talked to us in the last session a lot about Elena Avila. And during this session, we're going to be looking at the work that you've been engaged in. And I'd like to begin in a way that is sort of a bridge between the topic of our last one and the topic that we're going to cover now and talk about what has been most significant for you, what you learned from Elena and how that plays into the nature of the work that you're engaged in, uh, both academically, research-wise, but also as a, a healing practitioner? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's a great question. You know, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I've ever really sat down and tried to articulate what Elena gave me in life that led to what I'm doing now. So like for me, that's just like an emotional question because it's like a tribute to her to, to, to really acknowledge that, you know, which again, it, it all fits with my work in family and ancestral healing because we don't really find ourselves until we have gratitude for how we got here and who brought us here, you know, in so far as we reject who brought us here, you know, we don't grow. And the inverse of that is, is, is so beautiful to like have deep gratitude. And um, <clears throat> gosh, I mean, so many things. I mean, uh, first of all, I have to say that there are wonderful other people in my life because of her. Um, I know you because of her. I want to acknowledge that, you know, yeah. because she was part with Cheo Torres, who does an amazing job administering the and running and, and all the work that he does for the, the the summer school the traditional medicine summer school at UNM you know because of her connections to him and all of the interconnections there that's how I know you <clears throat> it's also how I know the woman who I continued to learn the medicine from after Elena died who's a wonderful woman many many people involved at UNM know named Virginia Marie Rincon um, Virginia Marie has been a wonderful teacher, a wonderful maestra to me for years now. Um, and I connected to her. It's, it's very poetic and it's a very Elena-esque. But I connected to her through a song, um, a Lila Downs song, um, which was about honoring death and the process of dying. And I wish I could think of the name of the song off the top of my head and I can't, but she... Uh, when Elena passed on, I went onto her Facebook and I just posted that song on her wall in honor of her. It's so interesting how we can do like cyber memorials and ritual so easily now. We're so close. We can access others in, you know, in that way, uh, in an imaginal space, basically. Um, and so I, I shared that song and Virginia Marie reached out to me and said, where did you find that song? How did you know Elena? I really want to connect to people that knew her. And very quickly after that, I figured out Virginia Marie needed to be a teacher to me. Like it didn't take any time at all. We exchanged a couple of emails and I was like, and I figured out that she was in Austin, which is where most of my family lives now and where my mother lives. 
And I said, this is, this is too amazing of a coincidence. Like I need to, I need to, I need to, to see you when I get to Austin to see my mother. And, um, so what she did, one big thing she did was introduce me to people indirectly, you know, um, and introduce me to that, that space at UNM, um, where Cheo has people learning with healers from all over the world. And um, he often has me come and talk about healing in the Sufi tradition. Um, so also, I think that one of the things in that, you know, vein of traditional medicine in general, is I think that um, learning and, and, and being healed by and with Elena in that co-creation, at the same time as I then ended up in South Africa, which is the home of traditional healing, if we want to go back thousands of years, right? It's where traditional healing really comes from in a way. Um, that alerted me to the, just the concept of traditional medicines because I didn't have it that clear, you know? And it allowed me to find it in my own background and in the Sufi tradition that I was already part of. So I was better able to spot it and to ask about it. And in the years that came after that, the Sufi teacher that I worked with who, who would visit me in Turkey and then some others that I found in Turkey when I lived there would answer questions for me on, on wellness and healing. So really like she was the entry point to all of that. You know, there was her, there was the experience in South Africa, and there was like the way that that highlighted everything related to healing in the Sufi tradition that I was already part of. And so, um, so she opened the door to it as a world for me, you know? And so also that means that like when I'm doing the therapeutic work I do with people now, I'm always feeling informed by traditional knowing. So I'm not working with people just from a place of like, this is a technique. No, this is a practice with ancestry, like everything has. And this is a practice, a therapeutic practice that has its roots somewhere ancestral. And we need to always acknowledge that, you know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but you know, let's say, you know, Sigmund Freud, you know, yeah, we think of him as somebody who came out of nowhere. Clearly there's an ancestral something you know, something from Jewish tradition or something that's informed him because that's where he came from, you know. Carl Jung is such an amazing man because he directly acknowledged these things. Like he clearly said, I have been informed by indigenous people and African people in what I do, you know. And I draw on the knowledge of traditional people. You know, I mean, he may have said it in a crusty kind of colonial European form in the 20th century, but in his own language, he tried to acknowledge that. You know, he came to New Mexico and, you know, spent time with indigenous people in northern New Mexico, for example, you know. Um, and so, so just that awareness, I think that comes from her for me. That's where it started. And, and just taking very seriously the health of the soul, you know. and and. Um, one really big thing I would say she definitely taught me is how to just work within space to heal yourself. How important it is because she put so much emphasis on, you know, doing prayers and meditations and healing work in the four cardinal directions, which you find in a lot of traditional cultures. I think she opened up for me an awareness about space and directions and movement 
And family constellations can actually be called movements of the soul. So small movements, a movement from one representation to another space that represents something else, to another person that represents something else, to another symbol that represents something else, can look very simple on the outside, like the way she would teach us to, you know, look in the directions, et cetera, which she in turn got from her teachers in Mexico. That is but, really an important point that I, I want to pause for, yes. if you don't mind, Logan. Sure. Because a lot of the work that she did, the other thing that I didn't mention that really moved me and influenced me was the creative use that she made of symbols yes. on the altar. Right. And that really, that really is at the core of the lot, a lot of the work that I do is the, the meaning behind the directions ascribed to the, to the places on the altar and how to use that to shift meanings in a person's life. Yeah, space, space and sacred objects can be very powerful because otherwise we stay like, and this is the problem with a lot of Western um, ways of working with the psyche, you know, is that there's a lot of sitting in one spot. And this is why I like both the traditional ways and family constellations and things like trauma therapy and ritual forms of healing, right? Is because so much of the Western approach comes out of our cultural baggage about how the mind is the most important thing and the body is not, you know, the sacred is not important. I mean, this is what we've been taught for a long time. And it's understandable because of our history, our ancestors in Europe went through a lot of problems with religion. You know, there were centuries, centuries of sectarian war in Europe. People don't talk about this very much. That's not the experience of people in other parts of the world. And so to, to cut that out and to stop the Catholic Church from saying that the earth, you know, the sun robs around the earth and killing people that say anything else, there had to be this line between the sacred and the secular for a lot of people. It's a way of solving it. But in that process, we got very into our minds and started to think that the mind is where all the power is. And we, we lost our connection with the body and with using the body in ceremony and healing. So yeah, I mean, that's huge. She taught me that you could represent things, that you could theatricalize experiences, move, speak, imagine, use a sacred object and move things. You know, I remember she taught me to do my own cleansings, my own limpias using a certain format that I could do on my own at home. And after I had been doing this for a certain time, I remember waking up um, with this really um, just sobbing and crying in my sleep, having these dreams about asking someone to love and care for me. And like this group of people that I came to and I begged them to care for me. I mean, it was, you know, visceral stuff. And it just came from this movement in space, you know, that, that she taught us to do. And that comes from the ancestral knowledge of the Americas you know, stuff that has survived these last few centuries of it, the attempt to, to stamp it out. Thank goodness. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'd like to ask you to talk about now is a, a little bit about the, how you work now. And I, I want to go back to what you described as being informed by indigenous practices. 
and and yeah. gave the example of Jung using a similar idea, maybe different language, but this idea, this idea that we are informed through these experiences, these intercultural experiences. So if you could yeah. tell us a little bit about your work now and how it is informed by all of this, that the, this amazing array of uh, <laughs> types of healing that you've been really lucky enough to be a part of, to, to experience firsthand. Yeah. Super blessed. Yeah. Well, so first off, the important thing would be to say that I don't work that much with people in very traditional ritual forms of medicine. Um, medicine in the non-clinical sense, of course, of the word, um, as in healing. Um, I don't use a lot of traditional forms, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But one of the main reasons is that I move through a lot of different countries and cultural spaces. So um, there are times where if I'm working with someone who comes from a traditional healing system in their culture that I know, I will encourage them to investigate that and work with somebody in that tradition. So um, I've been doing that with a client I'm working with now uh, who, who, who comes from kind of Tejano roots and has connections in Mexico and she resonates with the Mexican traditional medicines. So I've directed her to that. But my form of working through family constellations is doesn't have a lot of traditional ritual or anything added into it. And like I said, that's, that's because, you know, my work, I mean, I live in so many different places and I've moved to so many different places. I have to really use a form that can be translated from place to place and community to community. So I wouldn't want to, for example, take something I learned in Curanderismo and try to insist people do it if I'm doing a workshop in China you know, because it just wouldn't work. Occasionally, people are interested in that. They want to do cross-cultural experience, and that's fine. You know, that sometimes does happen. Mm. Um, but so, yeah, so basically what I do is I try to stay in the essence of what I know. And the core of where that ancestral approach really, really comes in is A, acknowledging that all of our ancestors, if we go far enough back, had ancestral indigenous wisdom. B, acknowledging that there are people that despite everything that's happened over the last five centuries, there are people that are still doing it and acknowledging and respecting their knowledge. And then C, like the, the, the key for me in working with people individually is like working with their own ancestral wisdom that comes through their line. And that may not look like a traditional practice right? That may not look like a type of traditional healing. That may be something more uh, intuitive, intangible, a wisdom that you feel. When somebody represents your great, your line of grandmothers, you you're in a constellation, someone represents your mother, your grandmother, your great-grandmother, your great-great-grandmother, your great-great-great-great-great-grandmother, like you, you, you feel their presence, a certain ancestral wisdom will come to you, right? no matter what your background is, no matter what kind of culture you're from. And that's something that anybody anywhere can experience in any of the communities I work in. But that awareness about that ancestral wisdom, that comes from the knowledge that indigenous people 
in Africa, in the Americas, in Asia, have maintained, despite the, the fact that the last 500 years since the colonial project have rocked the way this planet operates. It's a drastic change that it's brought to this planet. Despite all of that, they still maintain it. So I guess the easiest thing I could say is, you know, I keep that awareness in, in spirit, the spirit of that awareness of the ancestral wisdom I've received. Occasionally, now and again, I may direct somebody into a more traditional form if it's something they're connected to. <clears throat> and I may send them on to a practitioner, for example, if it's something I don't know about. So I guess my, my question then is, in your example, you talked about Southern Africa as being the, the, the origin point of traditional medicine. And if we, if we think of it that way, and we think of some of their healers today as maybe being representatives of that original medicine, and then we talked about this colonial process, about how that colonialism disrupted so many traditional forms of knowledge and medicine, and how now in this postmodern world, we're kind of looking at, we're, we're looking through these di various different lenses. I guess my question for you is, what do you make of this in terms of universal knowledge versus particularly cultural knowledge? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess I would say, you know, because I believe, so one thing I was taught in the Sufi tradition that's helped me a lot in working in indigenous communities is the art of asking permission. Right. And I've seen you apply this knowledge too, Bob. It's so important because um, there's such a big discussion about cultural appropriation, all of that in our culture today. It's so important that case by case, when you're dealing, this is my view, when you're dealing with traditional knowledge held by traditional people, and you're talking about the specific, not the universal, the specific, right? We need to rigorously check for permission. So that's how I relate to like the more local traditional knowledges of a tribe, a community. I rigorously make sure that I have permission for anything I'm learning, knowledge that I'm sharing, whether it's me giving knowledge, whether it's them giving knowledge, when there's always, always needs to be permission and, and checking in about that. More universal knowledge is I think what we all as humans can, can feel into like human knowledge. Um, in the Sufi tradition, we could talk about like Adamic knowledge, the knowledge of Adam, right? Of Adam and Eve, like the archetypes of the human being, you know, that, that there are types of knowledge that are inherent in all people. And I think that that's, that's something that, you know, First Nations and African peoples are reminding us of, is that we have access to it, you know, even though we've forgotten it. So, so yeah, so the bigger, the bigger knowledge is, is what we can tap into through our own process. And that I see coming to people in constellation work without them necessarily having to apprentice to a tradition of another culture and language and place, which, you know, is not necessarily doable. Yeah, it's really fascinating that you've pulled all this together through <laughs> this, uh, this particular practice. I, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's really curious, I guess, because it, it, 
as you say, being informed by these other practices, you've seen the, the cultural way that universal knowledge has been brought out and utilized and yet honoring it in its cultural form and recognizing its universal human origins. Exactly. And that universal, that universal stuff that people connect to, that um, really, by a kind of grace, appears, right? It, it just, people will remember it. You know, a lot of what people do in, say, permaculture is like a spontaneous remembering of something much older and indigenous that they just d didn't directly learn from. Right. And the same thing with this kind of ancestral knowledge that comes through things like family constellations. It's just a like a spontaneous kind of remembering. And that's something we all have access to, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that makes it pretty clear. So that's going to bring us uh, almost to the end of our session together. So how can our listeners get more of what you're talking about? <laughs> well, I unfortunately I haven't gotten my uh, website up and running yet. <laughs> I actually have given myself a deadline for tomorrow, so I think it's I have Spark Systemic Solutions. Well, I have Spark Systemic Solutions on Facebook, and the Constellation Circle, which is a Facebook group. Spark Systemic Solutions is a page, so like a business page, um, where people can reach out to me if they have questions about what I do. Um, the article that I wrote about Elena is um, up at, um, I think it's Alem Sirus. This is a A-L-E-M-S-I-R-U-S dot blogspot dot com. That's one place where you can look at some of my experiences that I've written down. I'm going to be putting more of them up there. Um, so there are, those are, there are different ways to get in touch with me online. If you Google me, there aren't a whole lot of Logan Sparkses out there. There are only a handful. So, <laughs> so I'm pretty easy to find, you know, and I'm happy to, to have conversations with people about this, these topics. Wonderful. I, we've really covered a lot of ground um, over yeah. these three <laughs> interviews, and I, I hope it will inspire our listeners to learn more about family constellations and more about the work that you're doing to, to contribute to this field. So Dr. Logan Sparks, thank you so much for being with us for three parts, three episodes. Wonderful, Bob, thank you. And thanks for sharing your wisdom with me too, I appreciate it. And thanks everybody out there for listening to us. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.